Welcome to Comms in Asia, where we unpack the vibrant world of communication and technology in Asia Pacific. Join us as we analyze and interpret the role of owned and earned media strategies for brands and publishers. Breaking down the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities in the industry, we'll bring you nuanced viewpoints from experts in the field as we dive into the various methods that brands can use to reach their target audience and drive awareness in the world's fastest growing markets. Terrence, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have you here. For those of you that don't know, Terrence and I go way back. I used to be a journalist at Tech in Asia covering the Indonesia beat. And I learned a lot of what I know in the industry from this man right here. So Terrence, thanks for being here. Yeah, glad to be here and glad we could have a chance to do this. Yeah, I mean, we've done some great stories back in the days. So always excited to catch up. So I just want to cover one thing real quick before we dive into how PR practitioners can more effectively pitch their stories to TIA. And that is looking back a few years ago, we were writing for the largest audience possible with respect to interest in tech. We were driving clicks. We were trying to drive as many audience uh, members to the site as possible. But then monetization model kicked in for Tech in Asia. You guys are now writing for subscribers and you're not writing for everybody. Can you unpack a little bit about how it went for the editorial team, pain points, highlights, lowlights, and how you guys are thinking about stories now versus back then? Yeah, actually, when we launched the paywall, it wasn't that difficult decision because back then we were at a stage where we had to decide, do we raise more VC funding? Do we become like 99% of, of companies out there and just make money the normal way? Right, so we chose the latter route, and and subscriptions immediately became one of the top priorities for us. So from that perspective, it was a pretty easy decision. But it's also a a decision that we can reverse pretty easily if we wanted to. Right, if it just doesn't work out, we just kill it. Right, so. So I think from that perspective, it wasn't difficult. I think where where the challenge was is in just changing our approach to journalism, to content, to our content strategy, because we we need to meet a higher bar, right? So I I, I think initially our, our readers were very forgiving. So we pretty much put up like the, the wall and the landing page was for the subscriptions. I mean, we did change our content strategy a bit, but it, it was still like a long journey, right? To turn your your team of writers into one that is able to do in-depth journalism, able to do investigative stories, deep analysis. That took a long time and we sort of like made progress every day towards it, but took us a while to, to, to get there, right? A few years, right? So, so our readers were, were pretty forgiving. We got some pretty good traction right from the beginning beyond what we expected. So I think in terms of the difference in coverage, uh, I remember before, yeah, before the subscription program, it was really all about page views, right? About getting engagement. I don't even remember for, for a period of time, we were chasing after social media views as well. So we did like videos that got like a million views or a few a few million views. And but that didn't make us a single cent. <laughs> it was pure engagement, pure like covering tech 
for the mass market. So we did a lot of that, a lot of videos, a lot of graphics on Facebook before it started to clamp down on, on organic views. So yeah, when we transitioned into the subscription model, we definitely need to be more focused on exactly what our target audience is, which is founders, right? Let's to put it simply. So, so it, it definitely has to be more focused, less about covering tech for the mass market. Don't get me wrong. I, I think page views and engagement still matter because it's all about having that funnel, right? Like the more um, viewers you have, the more subscribers you have, right? The more potential subscribers you be able to reach. So I, th I think engagement still matters, but it's about effective engagement, right? Finding the right audience, engaging them correctly, and eventually getting them to, to subscribe. So yeah, I think those were the, the changes that we made. And in terms of audience, you know, in the tech ecosystem, you have these all these different stakeholders, right? You have the founders themselves, you have the funders, right? You have institutional LPs that are very interested in what's going on on the beat, right? And then you also have developers. I noticed that you guys have been doing some things to serve the developer and product teams out there. Can you talk a little bit about that? How important is that in terms of the content that you guys are putting out? Yeah, so I, I, I don't think that's like a main, a, a big part of what we do. I, I think a lot of what we cover is still pretty business centric. We do have like a product development conference so that is is yeah really for like product managers and, and centered around them so yeah so I, I think any kind of content we do that's more product focused or, or technical would be more perhaps for the conference that said we we do like accept guest contributions so there, there, are, there are definitely some articles that are maybe more product focused or more technical but they are they're still kind of written for founders and it, it doesn't go too deep into like uh, scrutinizing code or best practices when it comes to programming. So we don't go into that, but maybe on a higher level, we look at like maybe say how, how we should set up a, a product management team, how we should organize them, things of that nature. They're more high level. So as a journalist, you receive all these pitches every day, maybe dozens, if not more than a hundred every day, right? These come from in-house PR practitioners. They come from agencies. They come from marketers. And I guess what's the best clue that you can give them in terms of what kind of stories you're looking for and how they should be angled and delivered to you this year and just in general going forward? Yeah, I, I think a lot of what we do is it is centered around funding, right, and investments, deals. So it, it doesn't sound that interesting, to be honest, right? Uh, given uh, every tech media does that, but it, it's there for a reason. It, it's it's there's demand. But I, I I think what we're trying to do that's a bit different now is to to kind of add more color to the story. So, I mean, if, if we get like a, a press release for, from a company with no lead time, it basically gives us less time to, to make the article special, right? So I said that there's always this dilemma, right? Like you say you give an exclusive to a, to a certain media outlet, a, you might, I don't know, 
piss off other media outlets because they don't get the same treatment. So I, I kind of get that. At the same time, I think there's kind of maybe a smart way to play this, right? So you kind of know, which is why I think it's really important that you really understand if you're a PR person, what certain outlets are looking for, right? So like what Technasia is looking for might be very different from say Deal Street Asia or from TechCrunch or from, I don't know, Techno or, or whoever it is. So so I think I think that's key, right? Really understanding every media. For for us, I think I think this is fairly recent. We're, we're trying to just move away from the standard, the boilerplate funding news, which is why we prefer to to get a stories ahead of time. Give us some time to sort of like work on, maybe get we will we'll ask you a few questions over email. We'll do a phone interview if we think it's interesting to at least make the story more interesting. So I think funding is, is, is will always be there, but we, we like to go into find like financial performance. VCs are talking about profitability these days, right? So, so if your company is growing fast and profitable, that's a great story. So like, what's an example then of that, of something you've done recently, whereby you were able to get the inside track and elicit some color from the company or from the person that was pitching that nobody else would necessarily get. Yeah. So I I think that there are certain stories that gets pitched to us as, a, as an exclusive. I think these are the ones that we value. So an example would be usually they, they will come in the form of a founder wanting to share how great their financial numbers are. So, so it, it's not something that necessarily every media is interested in, right? Because some other media might be focused on just funding. Some of them might not have the bandwidth to go so deep into financial metrics. But for us, we, we've done a number of stories where it's like, hey, this startup is, is set to do like a hundred million in, in revenue this year. And, and that, that, that's a great story because instead of just talking about funding, we go deeper into what the business is all about, what their plans are for the year. So I think, yeah, that, that's what a lot of the the exclusives that we get are of that nature, right? Where we go deeper into how the business is doing rather than just looking at it from the surface. And so for those in the audience who may not know, the term exclusive can get thrown around in the industry a bit. When you say exclusive, what exactly do you mean? Be just being the first to know about it and the, having the right of first publish? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's broadly what it is. So I, I think there are, there are certain stories that are, are offered to us and us only. So we, we kind of get the interview. So no one else does the interview. So we, we do get stories like that. And, and yeah, I, I, I think that usually comes about when we kind of have like a special relationship with a particular PR person or even the founder themselves. So a lot of it comes out of like having that relationship, right? Say like we've say we work with this founder for, for a while and, and he or she knows exactly what we're looking for. And, and because of that familiarity, whenever we ask for an interview, they say yes. So yeah, that, that's often how, how it comes about. Yeah. So you mentioned profitability and not just the ability to raise capital, right? Are there any stories that stand out to you in recent weeks that you guys have run in terms of like, a company that's just done very well by bootstrapping or that is profitable without having raised a single 
dime of venture capital? Yeah, definitely. So one example was this foreign startup called Staffy. So basically, they help restaurants hire workers. So yeah, it's this one man show basically that they made like five hundred thousand sing dollars or so in in the first year. And and yeah, that that's a very rare. And I think. He was in the right place at the right time. Even how this labor shortage in the F&B industry, so I think that's like a pretty rare example of a company that grew very quickly with very minimal spending. So, and it's just like a one-man operation. There's no staff, right? So often you have at least a small team or. Or something of that sort, but yeah. So this was pretty. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you talk about companies doing a hundred million in GMV or something along those lines, but they're heavily funded, and so that's where they should be at, right? Air quotes. But I think these smaller, more kind of quirky stories of just like individual operators that are able to succeed by their own merit it brings everyone kind of down to earth in terms of validating business models, right? Especially you now after all of these fiascos that have been happening, be it the crypto crash, the FTX thing, be it the SVB downfall, right? And so everyone's looking for rationality and valid business models with clear paths to profit. Maybe during this cycle, any company that's able to tell that narrative, I think stands a shot of getting media coverage. But how about you? Is that the only thing or does it need to be unique and interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think bootstrap companies are definitely interesting. I think especially like, I mean, most companies don't fundraise with investors, right? So you, you want to hear from people that re- you can relate to and and not just that I'm just relying on VC, VC money. But apart from that, I mean, most of the coverage is still innovation and VC funded startups. So so that isn't going away. And I think I think what is compelling to us would be companies in a way it's about crafting the narrative well and telling kind of being able to sell your long-term vision succinctly because yeah i mean short-term financial metrics matter and your short-term plan matter but what's gonna capture people's imagination is is sort of that ambition that you have as a startup right so i think that's really important which i don't think a lot of startups do that well is right really communicating succinctly how your startup is is going to kind of change the game Mm. especially in the tech space you'll ask a company what they do and then they'll give you a long-winded technical answer. And at the end of their answer, you still don't understand what they do, right? So how important is simple layman speak, if you will? How important is it to be clear and concise when receiving specifically an email pitch, right? When you look at a subject line, when you look at an intro hook, how long does it take you to evaluate whether or not you're interested in the story? Yeah, I, I think often the, the subject line should do the job, right? And and I should only need to to look at the subject to tell whether it's interesting or not. And so I might just look, if, if the subject line is interesting, I might click and then I'll look at a paragraph or two and often that's enough, right? So so I think you really have to communicate everything within, it's really like writing a, a new story, it's the same thing, right? So it has to be communicated in the subject line. It has to be in the intro paragraph and so all the the, the the critical information should be there so 
tell me about some of the verticals that you guys are really tracking, really keeping an eye on. Maybe if you could share the three to five of them and, and why you're so, I don't know, captivated by them or why you're so interested by them. And yeah, maybe that could be useful in terms of people who are submitting their their stories or thinking about their narrative and how to tell it to the press. Yeah, so I... I think some of the sectors we're tracking, I think fintech is still interesting to us. Like we were just covering this company that, that's sort of like working with the big banks to to monitor transactions for for fraud. So I think I think fintech is still gonna be big a, a big sector. Uh, I, I guess DeFi will be within the, the fintech space. I know it's a bear market and all, but yeah, I I I think there's still a lot happening in the space. I think it's still promising. Apart from that, I think agri tech is a big team, right? Especially in Southeast Asia, I mean Indonesia. I'm sure you're familiar with with all these companies, right? Doing like chicken farms and optimizing chicken farms or a prawn prawn farming and all of that. So. It's a lot happening in, in, in that space and it's something, I guess, worth watching. I think AI is, is, is definitely interesting. Even all the, the talk about generative AI and chat GBT, although I, I think in, in Southeast Asia, it doesn't seem to be as much happening in the space given, I think, all the, the IPs in the, in the US, right? The, the talents and if we're talking about large language models and all of that, it's all centered in the US. So, I mean, it's definitely a topic that's interesting to us, just important activity happening here in Southeast Asia. I mean, we, we still track e-commerce, very important space, but not as many startups, in, in, given it's a pretty saturated. There's still a lot happening in education, health, yeah, SaaS. So yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of verticals that we're, we're tracking. In terms of daily news, journalism, and even on the PR and comm side, just the sheer usefulness of this AI is uh, pretty incredible. I mean, we use it on a daily basis just for like small chunks of content that we would ordinarily have to be doing manually. Do you guys use it or are you guys purist in-house? <laughs> well, we are, we are aggressively pursuing it. So yeah, like like internally, we, we, we use it for headlines. So we, we kind of do some integration with Slack and with Zapier and all of that all these tools kind of connect them together. So we, we you can like press a button, it will generate like 10 headlines for an article. So that's something we're trying out. We're getting our writers to try writing news with it. So we, we are, what else are we doing? Summaries as well, like new summaries. Can we generate new summaries with AI? I think it's doing a pretty good job of that. So there's a lot happening internally that we are we're trying. And I think it's, Pretty production ready, right? One thing we're looking at as well is, is maybe editing using GPT-4 and getting, helping writers to improve on their, their copy and making it tighter, more concise. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's happening, yeah. It's a bit off topic, honestly, and, and this could be an entire episode unto itself, right? But I think that like, especially in Southeast Asia, if you're running an English language news media outlet, so you have, in the past, you had certain pools of talent that were available to you for writing stories, right? And maybe some people like in Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia were good reporters, but their written English was not so good, right? And previously, maybe that would have, that would have stopped them from contributing 
right, to Technasia. But perhaps now with this AI, they can they can be submitting work that is that is published ready in English. Is that something you've given any thought to? I, yeah, the the translation capabilities are pretty darn good, right? So I don't know if you tried it, like translating from Bahasa to English. Um, I to and you compare, yeah, GPT, even GPT 3.5, it's way better than what Google Translate can come up with. So, so we, we have like a, a team that reports in Bahasa. So we'll, what we do is we actually use chat GPT to try to, to do the initial translation into English. And then we edit from there. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I guess that, that helps with ops efficiencies and, and the cost effectiveness, but let's, let's get back on topic, right? So, yeah. so, so Terrence, so Terrence, what are some cardinal sins that come to your mind when marketers and PR pros are pitching you stories? What makes you say ick and want to take a shower and you immediately <laughs> delete, delete that story pitch from your inbox? Yeah, I, I think the, the recent one that came to, to my mind was just sending us a, a story after some other publication has, has done it, right? I, I think that's a big no-no. Like, like, like the, there's this funding news, I think it, it was published by some publication the day before, and then we got it on the morning itself. And there's an embargo on, on the news that's already published. So yeah, this kind of, yeah, like a, a rookie mistake there, right? So I, I, I think that's probably the... Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's that's one recent example I can think of. Are there any others? Yeah, I I think just a lot of spam, right? Like we we keep getting press releases that are not relevant to us. I think that the best PR people know exactly, have a good sense, are more targeted in in their outreach. So so it help that helps a lot. I think. So I guess as we come to the end of our session here, if you could boil it down to like three or four key pieces of succinct advice for marketers, PR pros, content people, how can they get covered by you? And even if they can't get covered today, how do they establish a, a working relationship with tech in Asia? I mean, I think a lot of people just want to know how they can just create a basic rapport with you. Yeah, maybe if you could just offer up some some advice for for saying hi to the TIA team, how, how best to get your yourself noticed, how, how best to get your story on the radar? Yeah, I, I guess a, the simple answer is not, not to worry so much about press coverage initially and, and just do cool stuff, right? Like, I mean, if your startup's doing well, if you're doing something meaningful, the, the media, the journalists will, will flock to you. I think I think that's number one. I think number two, definitely know the journalists and and again, right? If if you're kind of doing, if you're if you your startup's doing something meaningful and, and gaining good traction, it, it makes your job just a lot easier. So so you don't want to put the cart before the horse, right? And if, if there's nothing interesting to write about, just be interesting right so i i think that is, is is really important so once you you kind of have that nailed down then you can really start thinking about sort of having that relationship with the media i think some founders they are more hands-on right so they, they work directly with the journalists that tends to reap the best returns obviously as a journalist you want access to the founder so i, I think that 
personal touch helps a lot. That said, it's even if you're working with a PR person, it'd be good if if the P, like if I'm the, the journalist, I would appreciate that the PR person can give me access to the founder, right? So even if you engage a PR person, it helps to have that personal touch and be available for interviews and be responsive. So you kind of read what you sow in a sense, right? Like if you, it's, I mean, some founders want to be behind the scenes. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like some founders want to focus on operations. Like you know how, how, how Willis, right? doesn't do a lot of interviews, the, the founder of Technica. So, but I think that there's no wrong way to, to be a founder, but just if, if again, right, if, if you're not focusing on PR, then ex- manage your expectations, right? If you want good coverage, you obviously need to invest time and resources into it. If you, that's not important to you, yeah, then don't spend time on it, but manage your expectations. It's all I'm asking.